If you got your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 20 is what you need to find. 2 Kings will be that place in your Bible where all the pages are still stuck together. Uh, you haven't been there in a while. That's okay. You can follow along uh, in your notes if you didn't bring a Bible or here on the screen if you're using a phone and cheating. That's okay too. 2 Kings chapter 20. Uh, I want to take a second uh, before we dive in, though, to again say thank you all for coming. Five years is a big deal for a church plant. Uh, the vast majority of churches that try and start from scratch don't make it to five years. The number is actually over 80% of churches that start don't see five years. And just in the time that we've been going here at New Anthem, I know of six churches that have tried to start in the Wichita area that have already closed their doors. So that's not good, but I want you to know that what you're experiencing today is not normal. Uh, For some reason, God has decided that this is a place where he's going to show up and change people's lives, and I'm both humbled and amazed by that. In five years, we've seen 83 people commit their lives to God. So yes, that's awesome. Uh, 35 of those people decided to make that decision public by going, uh, going forward with baptism. Um, I would like to see those numbers kind of balance out a little bit. So if you've never been baptized, please let us know. You can fill out that connection card and we'll give you some information about uh, baptism. But uh, I want you to realize that only God can do that. Only God can change hearts. Only God can stir people's affections towards Him. Only God can help us do some of the other really cool things that we've been able to do. We've given away uh, $75,000 in missions. So that's pretty awesome. You can clap for that. That's really cool. That's a testament to your generosity and the faithfulness of God as well. Only God can grow our church in terms of numbers larger than 85% of churches in America. Uh, In terms of numbers, 85% of churches are smaller than 200 people. And for whatever reason, God has decided that that's not going to be our story. So that's crazy. But here's what I want you to remember on this five-year celebration. You might want to jot this down. Every blessing has a backstory. And I want you to leave this morning understanding that every blessing has a backstory. That's true for your life. That's true for people's lives around you. A lot of times we like to compare our lives and we see other people's blessing. And what you need to realize is that every blessing has a backstory. It's true for this church's life. And before I set out to explain that any further, I want to remind you of the backstory of New Anthem. We kind of have this uh, camp theme going on today. We've got the trail mix. We've got the ceramic mugs for you to take home. If you didn't grab one, make sure you grab one. Uh, Not particularly because I like camping, but rather we have the theme kind of going on because uh, camping requires a campfire, and campfires necessitate stories. And I want to tell you the story of New Anthem. To help me do this, I had a video made. Check this out. On January 12th, 2014, Laura and I and a group of about 35 adults launched New Anthem Community Church. Really, our goal was simple. We just wanted to create an environment where our friends could come and meet God. It's amazing what can come from one postcard. Because we got a single postcard in the mail, showed up for the first service not knowing uh, what to expect, and then just over the course of five years have found not only growth in our our faith and our marriage, 
but then also a community. Going by myself with two kids was intimidating to find a church, and so going somewhere where I felt welcome and not like looked down on for being a single mom was a huge thing for me. I had uh, two years of pretty rough time in my life, just trying to figure out what God had planned for me, and one day, you know, um, this beautiful lady just showed up on my doorstep, it seemed like, just uh, out of the middle of nowhere, and she invited me to go to church. It was definitely a little different from what I was used to, uh, as far as what I grew up in, but uh, it didn't take long to see that, that how everybody cared, and just everybody was there to help. We knew how much God had changed our lives, and we wanted that for everybody else. Neither one of us really intended to be in ministry. It's a testament to God's faithfulness in our lives. He changed our marriage. He changed our careers. And uh, we just wanted to create a place that was comfortable for our friends to come and encounter God. We try and do four things. We want uh, to develop a place where people can meet God. We want them to find freedom in relationship and get involved. Uh, we know life change happens in the context of a relationship. We say it happens in circles, not rows. And then we wanted them to discover their purpose, why God had created them to, to make a difference in the world. That's the fourth thing that we want people to do. And so we call that bring, build, equip, and send. I got invited to New Anthem by my daughter, Casey Giffen. I've always had a heart for Jesus, you know, um, but I've had trouble with, with churches just because of attitudes and not really feeling, either feeling judged or not really feeling welcome. And, um, and the first time I went to New Anthem, it was, I knew it was a, it was a place that I could go. The first time I walked in, everybody, I just recall that everybody was just welcoming. I mean, you know, there wasn't any strangers. Everybody was having a conversation, introducing themselves, just making me feel welcome. It gave me a place where I could, I guess, rekindle the relationship that I needed with Christ. And then that enabled us also, or for me, to be able to work then towards our new and upcoming marriage, which we would be getting remarried shortly after. I just got more confident that, you know, we were going in the right direction. I knew that, I knew, I always knew that we were supposed to be together. As, as we both started growing in Christ more, it just became more real. And, and then eventually, I proposed. <laughs> <laughs> the church we, I went to and we went to because we dated in high school growing up, it was just very much talking at you and there was not a lot of application that I took away from it. Um, but I feel like every Sunday after I leave, there's something that is applicable to my life that will make my life better, by strengthen my relationship with, with God. I actually paid attention the whole time during the, the service, and when we got into the car, I looked over and I was like, I could definitely go back there again. I was just like, we should, I think that's it. I got baptized at New Anthem. Uh, it took me a couple years, like I'd been thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, finally I made that decision, and so that was really, uh, it was awesome, that was, that was one of the best days of my life. So. The irony is how many people told us that this kind of church could never work that people didn't want to get involved, they only wanted to come and hear a message, that they didn't want to volunteer, that the hardest part was getting people to volunteer, and that's just never been our story. Casey became involved with the children's ministry with Rhythm Kids, just serving once or twice a month, 
and I was just also doing the, the creative team still and, and just sticking with that. And then eventually she said, oh, okay, well, how about only when I serve back there, you can serve with me. And I kind of begrudgingly was like, okay, I'll serve with you in Rhythm Kids. And just in a short while, we both just sort of found a, a calling in serving in that together. Serving in Rhythm Kids has been uh, an eye-opener. So I didn't ever think I would be in a leadership type of role. I didn't see myself ever as that or could be, um, but it was something I prayed for regularly. And so it was just kind of cool to see how God um, put that in our path at the perfect time. So it's been very fun, very challenging, and I've gotten out of my comfort zone a lot. Small group in the beginning, I mean, I, that's not something I'm normally really comfortable sitting around talking to a bunch of people. So it, in the beginning, it took some getting used to, but being around in the one that we're in right now, it, it makes it easy just to talk about anything. I started in the Rhythms Kids Ministry shortly after starting attending church at New Anthem. It's just fun to go meet all the kids, make connections with all of them, and see them all, you know, grow up, and to know that us taking care of the kids in the back allows, you know, moms and dads to sit out in service and get their filling for the, you know, week, listening to the message and stuff, and not having to worry about their kids and keeping them calm and under control. Thank you guys for creating this environment for us, and we are excited and look forward to the next five years. So I'll echo that thank you with my own very much heartfelt thank you. Uh, but I also want to, to challenge you a little bit in this way, and I, and I hope you never wake up on a Sunday and think to yourself, well... I, I won't go to church today. I'm not scheduled to serve. It's not that big of a deal if I miss or anything. Because I hope you heard the recurring theme within the people uh, that were speaking whose lives have been changed here. And it was, I felt welcomed. Uh, nobody was judging me. I felt okay to be involved in the service. Everybody was encouraging. And, and who do you think that they're talking about when they're saying those things? They haven't met me. They haven't heard a worship song. They've come in and met all of you. It's your handshake or your hi or your hello and, and it, all those types of things that make people's uh, lives change. Scripture tells us to uh, let us not neglect a meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but rather to get together and encourage each other. And you need to know that your smile or your handshake or your hello, your word, that might be all God needs to use to change somebody else's life. And so uh, let me challenge you with, with this. I promise we'll get to Second Kings. Never forget you're sitting in somebody else's sacrifice. Somebody sacrificed uh, their time. Somebody sacrificed their talent. Somebody leveraged their finances. Somebody used their abilities so that you can be here today. And don't let that sacrifice stop with you. Just showing up might be all God needs from you to change somebody else's life. That being said, calling my message today the Future 15. You've maybe heard of the Freshman 15. It's an expression used in the United States that refers to the amount of weight gain most first-year college students see. Uh, there's a lot of contributing factors, but generally an 18-year-old kid cannot make the wisest decisions, especially about what to eat when they get away from mom and dad. And so most students gain weight as a result. 
And this is a phenomenon that happens all over the world, not just in the United States. In Australia, they don't call it the freshman 15. They call it the first year fatties. (laughs) That's awesome. I wish I could say that. Uh, You know, you can't do that in America. It looks like you got those first year fatties. That's not very tolerant of you, but... Uh, Future 15, not talking about pounds, I am talking about years. What does the next 15 years of your life look like? Have you ever thought about that? Next 15 years. Most people haven't. They'll give it a year, but most people don't think in terms of 15 years. I think it's a worthwhile question because we've already established that every blessing has a backstory, which means every decision you make today will determine your blessings tomorrow. And what if you had 15 years of blessing on your horizon? You know, what if that was the filter that you use to make every decision that you make? Like, where does this cheeseburger take me in 15 years? Uh, where, where does this decision lead? What is, how does this affect my kids? How does this affect my marriage? How does dating this person impact me 15 years from, from now? How do I tell my spouse they weren't important enough to me 15 years ago to save intimacy for them? Now, in God's grace, he'll forgive you for any of the decisions that you've made, but that doesn't mean there won't be any consequences. And so what does 15 years of blessing look like versus 15 years of consequences? Now, where did this 15 number even come from? Is this just arbitrary? No, you are in 2 Kings chapter 20. Let's pick it up right in verse 1. About that time... Hezekiah became deathly ill. About what time? Who is Hezekiah? We are seven words in. We're already confused. This is not off to a good start. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord, Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. And three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. There it is. I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. Remember, every blessing has a backstory. God blessed Hezekiah. He added 15 years to his life. What's Hezekiah's backstory? Well, he's the king of Judah. So you've heard of King David. He killed Goliath. He united Israel, and he's accomplished more than probably any other king has. Yet when he dies, his son Solomon takes over the throne. Solomon did equally well in his political prowess. He raised a ton of money for Israel. He was one of the wisest men to ever live. He increased trade. He increased you know, profitability. However, when he dies, there's a struggle 
for the throne. Ultimately, the kingdom is divided. Israel in the north with its capital city of Samaria. Judah in the south with its capital of Jerusalem. It's important to know that the northern kingdom was entirely wicked all of the time. They had no righteous kings. However, in the south, in Judah, there were righteous kings, Hezekiah being one of them. Hezekiah made many religious reforms, but he also completed some very impressive engineering feats. Uh, He dug a tunnel through 1,700 feet of solid rock in order for them to get water. It's also helpful to understand that both kingdoms, Israel and Judah, are situated in an area of the world that's very strategic in terms of commerce and defense. Different dynasties throughout the history of the world have always been trying to conquer these territories in order for them to gain access to other parts of the known world. So when the Bible records for us about that time, it's about the time that the uh, dynasty and the empire of Assyria was coming to defeat Judah. I find this particularly compelling because at this time, Hezekiah is 37. I'm 36. We know from other scripture that Hezekiah has a son who's seven. My son is eight. When you start realizing that the people in the Bible are not all that different from you, it allows you to see stories in a different way. And the author records for us, about that time, Hezekiah becomes ill, and he's told he's going to die. Now that news could not have come at a worse time. Imagine you're a military leader and a commander of a country, and there's an invading army that's coming to conquer all of you including your family. They're coming to destroy your way of life. You get the news that you are going to die. You have Ebola. You have H1N1. You were cleaning out the garage. You got mesothelioma. It's never good news. I guess in fairness, there's never a good time to get that news. But of all times to get the news, when you're a king and a leader in wartime, that'd be the worst time to know that you're not going to survive, especially when the heir apparent to the throne is seven years old. You know, have you ever received devastating news like this before? Have you ever seen a loved one pass away? The doctor says, I'm sorry, there's nothing else we could do. Have you or one of your loved ones got the uh, devastating news that it's cancer? Right now, there's no treatment. It's aggressive. That's news that no one is prepared to hear. In my experience, you don't hear a whole lot of what is said after news like that. You just start thinking of all the things that you wanted to do or you wanted to accomplish or the things that that person won't be able to do. You start thinking of bucket list items. I'm sure Hezekiah had a long list of items that he uh, wanted to go through and things that he wanted to do. We all do. We all have lists of things that we want to get done. We all have lists of things that other people want us to get done for them. Uh, I made a list of some of my things. I want to drive a Lamborghini someday. That would be awesome. Uh, I want to go to every major league baseball park and have the single greatest item of food that they sell at that specific park. Uh, I don't know why that made the top of the list, but it sounds amazing. Uh, More practically, I want to build a table and chairs for my house. 
uh, want to build a greenhouse next to my garden. Leighton wants me to build him a clubhouse with a zip line to another clubhouse. He wants to be able to shoot bad guys and dinosaurs. So, all right. Lana wants a castle. If you haven't met her, she's a princess, so she needs a castle. Lenny, she's two. I think she just wants me to keep her alive, okay, which is more harder than it might seem. But uh, Laura, can't forget her. She's got a list of things she wants me to do. Uh, mainly involves traveling to Hawaii and other countries, so I'm holding out hope that science can clone me, so I won't have to go anywhere, because I like, I like to not travel. Uh, but uh, we all have lists. We all have things that we want to do. The irony of that is on nobody's list is dying. Despite the odds hovering around 100% that you will die, it's on nobody's list, and we're all doing things to prevent it. Because there's never a good time for that to happen. Arguably, it might be on Laura's list for me to do uh, for that life insurance money. But uh, anybody else worth more dead than they are alive? Okay, that's maybe just me. But uh, in all seriousness, you know what else I've discovered about our to-do lists? They never get smaller. You accomplish something and 10 more things are added on. It's the beauty and the curse of life, that there's always one more thing for us to accomplish. Here's what it means for you today. You either live your life or your life lives you. You might want to jot that down. You either live your life in your future 15 uh, or however long God has decided to give you. You either live that life or that life is going to live you. Just think about it. It's 2019. How did we even end up here? Y'all old enough to remember when it was supposed to end in 2000? Y2K, everybody's stocking up on bottled water and getting in their bomb shelters, and then it was fine. And then in 2012, it was all supposed to end again because somebody down at the Mayan calendar print shop forgot to add a couple years to the calendar. And everybody's freaking out, despite the fact that, you know, they're not even around. So, like, shouldn't that be a clue that they didn't have it all figured out? But whatever. Uh, Like, where did life go? And I'll say it this way. You can be in this life and never actually live it. And that's not God's plan for you. He wants you to live life to the full. This is kind of where Hezekiah found himself, just going through life. Notice Isaiah tells him to set his affairs in order, which means his affairs were not in order because he was just doing life and it was living him. Sure, he was making policies, he was building infrastructure, he was protecting people, which all sound important, but if you read the entire story, you'll see that he forgot what was most important. He forgot his relationship with God. He neglected his spiritual affairs and his house was out of order. Let me ask you, are your affairs in order? I'm not asking if you have a will. I'm not asking if you've signed the power of attorney paperwork, although those are all good things to be thinking about because none of us are guaranteed anything. But I'm talking more about your spiritual affairs. Is your spiritual house in order? Uh, Like Hezekiah, are you just living life? If God could give you or will give you or chooses to give you 15 more years, 
would they be the best 15 years of your life? Because you're not worried about debt and you're not worried about how you're going to make the car payment and you're not worried about having to study for a test and you're not worried about sex and you're not worried about what so-and-so said behind your back because you're too busy living life instead of letting life live you. That's what's at stake for you this morning. That's what's at stake for this church. Will you, will we put God first in our lives so that we can find the best life, so that we can find freedom, which is what God is promising you. Look again at verse 2. It says, When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly as you would if you got news like this. But then Scripture makes it clear that he heard Hezekiah's prayer and decided, no, you're not going to die. Instead, you're going to get another 15 years. How many of you all know that the next 5,475 days that Hezekiah was alive, he seized every opportunity. He lived his life to the full. This story can be a little bit confusing at first glance because it appears that because Hezekiah served God faithfully... And because he prayed to the Lord about how he'd always done what pleases God, that God decided to answer his prayer in the affirmative. At first glance, it appears that Hezekiah makes this argument, because I've done these things, God, you should do this, which is how a lot of people view God, which is how a lot of people's prayers to God go. God, because I've kept your rules, God, because I'm mainly a good person, will you do such and such? Some of you have maybe prayed that prayer. God, if, I, if you see me through this, I promise I'll never forsake you. I'll serve you forever. So let me clear something up. This is why you can't just pick and choose verses to read because uh, you have to read verse 2 in light of verse 6, which says, God speaking, I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria who's coming to destroy you. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. You might circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do in your Bible, my own honor. In other words, God tells Hezekiah, it's not because of what you have done that I'm adding years to your life. It's because of what I'm going to do, and I want you to be around to see it, and I want you to experience it. And because you're king, I want uh, to have your scribes record this event for all of history so people like you and me can read it today. Which here's what I know for everybody in this room. It's not because of anything that you have done that God has allowed you to be here today. It's because of what His Son, Jesus Christ, has done. And I don't believe you're here by accident. God either brought you here to convince you of something or God brought you here to convict you of something. He either brought you here to convince you that His way is better than your way and that you need to be living life in light of who He is or He brought you here to convict you that you know His way is better and for whatever reason you've decided not to follow it. 
So what do we do? How do we seize these next 15 years of life? How do we set our spiritual affairs in order? Well, we have to do what Hezekiah did. We make a pact with God. Not a pact in the traditional sense, but uh, that God's going to reward us if we keep his rules, but a pact in the sense of an acronym. Uh, We do four things that Hezekiah did. First, we pee, pray. Uh, That's what Hezekiah did first. His first response was to pray. Uh, Again, I say this every time I talk about prayer. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. Prayer is the difference between your best and God's best. Prayer is acknowledging you can't do life on your own and you need God to make a supernatural impact for you. If you're here today and you've never committed your life to following God, I hope that you can let your guard down enough to hear from God this morning. Uh, God is here. He's in this place. He's trying to speak to your heart right now. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not just talking. Prayer is also listening. And I want you to know that God is not trying to pressure you into anything. And God is not trying to take anything good away from you. Uh, I wish somebody would have told me that 20 years ago that God is not trying to keep anything from you. God wants you to live life and live it to the full. And so I hope you can relax enough to really feel God's presence in this place. Because He's here, He's leading, He's guiding, He's calling, He's, he's trying to bring you into something better for you. And the other thing that we need to do if we're going to get our affairs in order and and live life, however long God has decided to give us, uh, aside from just praying, we also need to submit to God's authority. A, authority. Uh, God is authoritative and we need to submit to that. We need to stop trusting our feelings and acting on our emotions. The prophet Jeremiah makes it clear that your heart is trying to deceive you. Scripture says your heart is deceitful above all things, which means you shouldn't just be listening to your heart. If you are, you're listening to the wrong voice. Your feelings need to line up with the Bible. And when they don't, go with the Bible. Even King Hezekiah who had nobody in authority over him. He is the king. He makes all the decisions. He still listened to the voice of God through the prophet Isaiah. Let me ask you this. Who are you listening to? Who are you answering to? Maybe next to the word authority, you should write the word accountability. uh, Because you need to be accountable to somebody in this life. Do you know Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. This is the most terrifying passage in all of Scripture for a pastor. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. Which means you should find a local church body And as long as they are following the Bible, you should stop asking, what can the church do for me? How are they going to feed me? I need to go somewhere where they'll do this for me. And you should start asking, no, what can I do to help God and this church advance the mission of redeeming people? Uh, Because this is not about you. 
This is about the lost of the world and why I hope you find your time both encouraging and meaningful. What we're doing here is to bring glory to God. And this is about us serving Him. And and we need to submit to a church's leadership. It leads me to point three, because if you're not doing that, you lack C, character. You lack character. You're not humble. Again, that's what we see with Hezekiah. If you would read on, you'd see him act in pride and bring in uh, a kingdom of Babylon to see all the things that Hezekiah had accomplished. And in his pride, he allows them to see all the things they wanted. And they ultimately come in and conquer the southern kingdom. Um, It doesn't matter your position or how much money you have. When death comes calling... It doesn't matter who you are. You need to have character and humility in life to acknowledge who God is. And for the sake of time, I'll just say this as plainly as possible. Every bad decision you have ever made is because of pride. Every bad decision you have ever made is because you thought you knew better than God. And you need to start acting in humility instead of Uh, pride. And the best news I can give you this morning is because of Jesus, you can actually do that. The good news is because of Jesus, you can fix all the things that have gone wrong in your life. I'll talk about that in just a second. Last point, T. Trustworthy. Are you trustworthy? Hezekiah was. God knew he could trust him because as we read in verse 3, Hezekiah make the most of every most of unity by being trustworthy, by doing what you say you're going to do. When you say you're going to be somewhere, young people, be there. When your parents tell you to be home at a certain time, be home. That could go for old people too. Old people... When you say you're going to be home, be home. When you say you're going somewhere, go there. It's immaturity. It's a lack of character. Uh, This is it. That's the pact of life. You either live your life or your life lives you. And if you don't pray, and if you don't have people in your life you're accountable to, and if you don't have a church who has spiritual authority over you, and if you don't have character, and you're not humble, and if you aren't trustworthy, and you don't have the ability to tell people no, and start living life in a specific way, I promise you, life is going to take advantage of you. Just is. Because you're not living your life with due diligence. So life is going to live you. And so let me do this as we close. If we can make this pact and live by it day in and day out by God's grace with the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, your life will change. Your future 15 will be amazing. And it's simply is a matter of you submitting to Jesus Christ and the Bible and the Word that He's giving us and living in such a way that that God would be proud of the decisions you're making. And again, it has nothing to do with you. It's the power of Jesus living inside of you. Furthermore, I want you to see what happens when a church is 
uh, living with intentionality and in this way. This is 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 1 and 2. Therefore, since God has in His mercy given us this new way, this, this way of life that leads to fullness, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the Word of God. This is my goal as your pastor. We tell the truth before God because there's such a thing as truth. And all who are honest know this. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. It's my plan and and job every single week. I believe in God, so I'm going to do what the Bible says. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. That's why we never give up. We don't give up because we're bringing God glory. Look right at me. The reason we are here this morning is to bring God glory with our lives and how we live. And we're supposed to be a light in a dark world. The world is dark. There are horrible things happening in the world right now. We are God's plan A. There's not a plan B. Your life will be a testament to God's faithfulness to the world around you. And I can promise you, as long as I am your pastor... This church will never give up on spreading the gospel. That Jesus can change your life. And I might not always do it right. And I'll probably let you down if I haven't already. But I'll commit to you that if you'll commit back to me, that we will never give up and that we'll make the Bible our top priority. And if we'll commit to reaching people with the good news of Jesus, I guarantee you, will change the world. I didn't start this church to give myself to a brand of New Anthem. I, I want to change the world. It's going to start in Park City, and it's going to go out in circles to the Kansas, and to the nation, and to the world where we've already been with missionaries in Turkey, people getting saved over there in Bolivia, rescuing kids from sex trafficking, getting their families saved. We're already doing it. Five years is just the beginning for us. We haven't arrived. We're just getting started. Amen, somebody. We'll change people's lives one at a time, and ultimately it's going to change the world. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is a holy moment for us. God is speaking to you right now. He's asking you to be involved in this mission. I want you to hear His voice. Where is He leading you? What can you do different? What does the next 15 years of your life look like? What decisions do you need to make right now that are small That will compound, and in 15 years, you'll be better off for it. You either live your life or your life lives you. I want you to live with purpose this morning. 
for however many days God chooses to give you. God, we love you. We praise you. We feel your presence here in this place. Do what only you can do. Speak to our hearts. Give us encouragement this morning. I don't know how everybody came in, God, but you do. Where they're hurting, help them understand that you know. You're trying to work all things together for good for those that love you. And you will do that. Every blessing has a backstory. This might just be your backstory that you're experiencing this morning. God wants to lead this to your blessing. God, help us take next steps closer to you. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you a chance to do that. Because his blessings are reserved for the people who follow him. Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. Say, God, I believe in your son, Jesus. But he lived a perfect life so I wouldn't have to. He died a death that was meant for me. But he rose from the dead so I can be made alive. Help me live for you. God, help each one of us bring you glory. Give us opportunities to share this good news wherever you have placed us. Change our lives for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.